We are the tide from the north. We're brave and we're bold. Defeating our rivals never gets old. Making our way to the Big Sky Conference. Watch out, cause here comes the silver and gold. Welcome back, Try from the North Brave and Bold, to the official unofficial podcast of your Idaho Vandals and the Vandals affiliate on the Big Sky Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brian Marceau, joined today by a co-host who missed last week, and I'm I'm not going to let it go. The reason I screwed up Giuliano Falonico's name, calling him Justin, uh, it was because Dallas was not here, threw off the rhythm, threw off the research. So yeah, Dallas, you were back. But at least you had a vacation from hell to make up for making me screw up Giuliano's first name. Yeah, exactly. I wasn't here to to be the person mispronouncing the name. So instead, I went on the vacation from hell, uh, went to Disney World uh, with a bunch of family and the Airbnb. Very first night we got there, uh, four dead cockroaches in one bedroom, two live cockroaches running across the kitchen counters. So that was really fun. Um, went and found a motel to stay in. The second night we were there, a two-year-old got lost. So there were six cop cars and a police chopper hovering over the hotel as they slammed on every door and woke every single person up trying to find this lost two-year-old. So I had a great time away from the podcast. Let me put it that way. I think we call that karma. <laughs> Help, you know, helping us out in the background, the one and only producer Martin now the author of the Martin Minute, which we will get to later again with no prep work. Martin, you're in the 83843. How's it going? It's going good. It's rush week just rush week just happened in Moscow. So it's all all the people have their houses. Band camp starts tomorrow, so that'll be fun. It's almost school season again. You heard it first. Which if it is almost school season. As we all know, look, it's August 16th while we're recording. Opening week is, for Idaho is September 3rd. This Saturday, which would be August, 20, August 20th, Idaho has its final spring scrimmage. So look, we're, we're closing in. And this week, we're going to... We're going to jump into Around the Bar, brought to us by Hughes River Expedition. A lot of the point of this episode is going to be to go over for our Big Sky Conference preview, which we'll do in like two minutes. But Dallas, uh, going to give you a couple quick updates we have from fall camp, get your reaction to it. Uh, these are minor guys. but uh, And also, shout out to Taryn Kovach. He was on our show last week. He's doing. He's only on the Idaho football beat for a little bit longer, but he's doing a kick-ass job. His writing right now is the best coverage of Idaho fall camp. Uh, courtesy of Taryn. Uh, one, Zach Borish, when when Taryn was on, he said he had not seen a ton of Zach, Por Zach Borish in a lot of live drills. That's because Zach Borish had, had an injury, which at this point uh, is a non-issue. Today was one of the first days Zach was at 100% participation and According to Taryn, uh, he was looking pretty damn good in his new slash role, but a lot of that is as receiver, short short passes. And the quarterback situation, still no clarity, other than to add, it is not a three-man race, it's a four-man race. Uh, we, we talked previously about Jabore Gibbs transfer from South Dakota State. 
we all know about CJ Jordan, who he's been on Idaho for a couple of seasons. We all know about Giovanni McCoy. He played for Idaho last season, but freshman Jack Lane, it has been a bit of a surprise. According to Taryn, he's still getting pretty good split with reps with the other, the other three. So at this point, it is definitely a top four. And according to Taryn, uh, Jason X said, like he didn't say Jack Lane is the starter, but he said Jack Lane is going to see the field at quarterback at some point this season. Dallas, after that quick update, any response? Yeah, I, I hope that this is a case of all of the guys performing really, really well. Um, and not a case of there's four guys that just haven't separated themselves. Um, I find it really interesting that Jack Lane is is in this competition. Um, from what I remember, he's the walk-on of the two Layton brothers that joined over the summer. So it's very interesting that the walk-on quarterback is all of a sudden he's got he's got skin in the game. Um, I I still would be stunned to see him win it, but if he does, hey, more power to him. Um, but it is, uh, it is either a really good sign or a really bad sign that none of the guys have separated themselves so far. What Taryn told me is it's actually in between those two. This isn't an example of like in the spring where CJ and Giovanni didn't really separate themselves from each other because in the spring, neither of them looked particularly great. According to Taryn, who's been in practice quite a bit, um, Jabore, CJ and Giovanni, what they've all done is essentially rotated who looks the best out of them. No one has, this hasn't been an issue of, of underachievement. Now you might say it's an issue of a little bit of instability, but it's more that multiple guys are making a reasonable case to be the starter. Um, it's not that th three or four guys are underperforming. For example, also like Jack Lane, like we just talked about Jack Lane, didn't move up the hierarchy because the other guys weren't playing well. Jack Lane moved up because Jack Lane played well. And that's, that's why he's, he's understood still is in the running. So that, by the way, that's Dr. Taron just before coming on the show. That's what he told me about quarterback situation. Uh, again, give Taron a follow, check out his stuff for Lewis and Tribune. I am ready to shift over now to our big sky conference preview, unless you have something else to add Dallas. No, I think uh, let's get into it. Let's get into silly season. Okay. This is the official Tubbs Club uh, Big Sky Conference preview. Going over how we do it for just 30 seconds because on this show, we do previews a little bit different than other shows. We do a snake draft starting at the bottom. So I'm going to have the first pick, which means I get to pick the number 12 team. Dallas will go second. He has the 11. Last year, we had Coulter Nuanez. He would have been our 10 or our third pick. This season... We used the official media poll that I had that Tubbs the Club patrons at hashtag only Tubbs, Tubbs, patreon.com backslash Tubbs the Club submitted their votes and we averaged out those votes. That's our third. So essentially, the Tubbs of the Club patrons, the poll they made together, that's our auto draft. So the lowest team left will be the team that automatically is our third team picked. And part of why we do that is, again, you said it's silly season, but um, look, I, I thought it'd be a fun way to add so the patrons can contribute to the show, but also it kind of screws up your prep and my prep because there's there's some spots in that tubs pool that uh, it, a lot of people might be surprised to see what it looks like, which is what happens when it's done as an average from a bunch of people. But I've talked long enough. We're ready to get started. Number 12, 
the worst team in the Big Sky Conference in my mind, producer Martin. Unequivocally, I'm fine saying Northern Colorado. The Bears, who I want to call the Golden Bears, but they're not. They're just the Bears. That's my last place team. So really, the, the main story to me about Northern Colorado, we had look, we had Jordan Adams on in the, in the spring to talk about Northern Colorado. And the main story behind Northern Colorado right now, Dallas, is Ed McCaffrey is doing everything he can to make sure that people – see his name next to the word nepotism and not Paul Petrino. I say that because one, anyone should listen to our old episode where Jordan came on the reports out of Northern Colorado where the Ed McCaffrey is just not, has not taken this job that seriously. And a couple points I'm going to go to one, there were 30 transfers over 30 transfers out of Northern Colorado. Now the positive of that could be like, well, he inherited bad talents. So that's 30 rolls of the dice that his talent is not so bad. The, the other side being that some of the reports were not that it was people were leaving because Ed McCaffrey wanted them to leave. And the other thing I'm going to bring up, man, his son, Max McCaffrey is their offensive coordinator, Dallas in big sky play Northern Colorado scored 12, total touchdowns the entire conference season last year averaged 12.8 points a game if there's any person who need to be replaced it's max mccaffrey he's not so that's why i've got northern colorado at my last one you've been on the shelf take it away i mean i i, don't, I wouldn't even say that max is the mccaffrey that needs to be replaced the fastest uh for anybody that hasn't followed the mccaffrey family terribly much dylan mccaffrey started at quarterback nine games last year Five touchdown passes. Five. In nine games, five touchdown passes. I don't care if you're out there running the wishbone. That is absolutely atrocious. Uh, you couldn't have said it better. Ed has determined that he wants to make this a Paul Petrino on steroids-like tenure where he's just going to give his kids the best positions that they possibly can and when they fail miserably whatever they're the coach's kid it doesn't matter I, I i could not if i was one of the 12 northern colorado fans in the world i i wouldn't be more distraught about the state of the program than it is right now like you said 30 some transfers the mccaffrey family obviously was not was not doing anything correctly in in year one I see nothing that's going to turn that around in year two. The media guide is already talking about Dylan McCaffrey as the starting quarterback. Like that, there's not going to be a competition here to see if somebody can maybe throw six pass touchdown passes in a year. This is this is the worst team in this conference by a mile. I would argue it's the worst coached team by a mile. I don't see any hope here. Yeah, I used to do this thing with the Montana Mint podcast where I would just send them dumb research for fun. And one of the things I developed last year is Dylan McCaffrey watch. And my last entry uh, on Dylan McCaffrey watch is that there, his yards per pass attempt was 4.99 in conference. That There were 11 running backs in the big sky who averaged more yards per rush than McCaffrey averaged per pass attempt. The the, look, the bright side that you might say is there for Northern Colorado is with 30, 30 plus guys coming in, you would maybe assume that their talent can't be worse. They do have one of the best linebackers in the league. It's returning all big sky uh, linebacker, David Hoge. Also 
Northern Colorado picked up Elijah Dotson. He's a running back transfer. Back in 2019, he was first team all big sky at Sacramento State. Had some personal stuff that went on in the 2021 season. So he left Sacramento State. So, look, I mean, there are some guys who, who can play in Northern Colorado, but obvious look, teams turn over from year to year, but it's not like Northern Colorado has any sort of promising thing to look at either side of the ball. I already covered. They scored 12.8 points per game in conference. Well, they gave up 33. They were more than doubled up on in regular conference games. They like, they have an out of conference schedule that Idaho fans would like to have. They play Houston Baptist. They play versus Houston, Houston Baptist. They travel, they play FBS Wyoming. Then they play at Lamar. So that's two FCS games. They don't play Montana or Weber state. So that's a couple of the better teams off the table, which means they play all the bad teams who aren't Northern Colorado as well. But in spite of that, uh, no, their last place, I, they are officially written off until further notice. Completely agree. And this actually is a great segue into to point 11 uh, or team 11. Brian, did you have anything else you wanted to bring up about Northern Colorado? No, thank you for getting us off of Northern Colorado to uh, your first drafted team at number 11. You know that getting us off is the thing I do best. Hashtag only tubs. Uh, team number 11 is going to be the Idaho State Bengals. If you're looking at the Northern Colorado schedule, that's probably the one big sky game that they really have a shot at winning and it's because Idaho state is about just as bad as, as Northern Colorado. When you, when we do, we're doing the research for this returning all big sky players, none preseason big sky players, none. There is no talent here at Idaho state. Brian, what the story here is, is Charlie Raggle. And obviously in his first year, what, what can he even do? What can he bring out of this team? Uh, you talk about bad quarterback play, and, and this team has that written all over it. The I think the only thing that separates them from Northern Colorado is they do have a new head coach, which means you at least have some level of hope no matter who it is. Yeah, and Charlie Ragel, he he was a special teams coordinator at Cal. So the, the small positive, because I, I think the ceiling for Idaho State is being the best of the worst teams, I think the floor is deathmatch with Northern Colorado for bottom of the conference. You can't imagine that Charlie Ragel could possibly be worse than Ed McCaffrey because Charlie Ragel, at least look, he earned his, his stripes. He earned this job by being a special teams coordinator. Idaho state picked Ragel over other power five coordinators who applied. And look, maybe the wheels falling off of Rob Fennessy at the end of last season means a little bit more than we understand beat reporter Greg Woods. I talked to him about the quarterback situation, which it is still a battle. It's supposed to be announced this week. Who the starter is going to be is between uh, returning sophomore Hunter Hayes, who he Hunter Hayes started the majority of games for Idaho state last season and was pretty unspectacular. Uh, six touchdowns, seven interceptions, uh, thousand, 36 yards on 162 attempts, 54% completion percentage. Tyler Vanderwall was uh, the starter for Idaho State in the spring. He was the newcomer of the year in the spring season and looked like he could be pretty good. He went out early with an injury last season, then he was out the whole year. But at this point, according to Greg Woods, the takeaway on Tyler Vanderwall and Hunter Hayes is they actually look pretty damn close to each other uh, as far as output, which might be surprising to people relative to how Tyler Vanderwall looked in the spring, but 
I mean, that, that might just be mean to me, Dallas, the takeaway we have from the spring season is look, if a team looked terrible, like Cal Poly in, in the spring, it's because they sucked. But playing well in the spring season probably didn't really mean anything. Like, you know, hey, Weber State won the league 6-0 and with a lot of close games that didn't make the playoffs the next season. Tyler Vanderwall may be a version of that, of, look, if he's not really beating out Hunter Hayes, I don't, I don't think anyone saw Hunter Hayes play last season and thought, well, that's a future All Big Sky quarterback. He's not beating him out. So I, I, I think, look, it's it always takes coaches a year at least in football to kind of get their guys and get things at least beginning to turn around. I expect it's going to be kind of a rough year in Pocatello, but people are going to be maybe more okay riding off a rough year because it's a new guy. I completely agree. That's, I mean, it, it's the new guy. He's 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 got to have three to four years to get his guys in get his system in place like you're going to just struggle through it there's not a whole lot of coaches that are going to come in and turn a team around immediately especially in college football i know we're all hoping that eck is going to do that but the the math is not on the side there realistically a new guy comes in and he's got a kind of clean house and and that's what this looks like with idaho state now this could be spun in a way of hey vanderwall looked pretty good in the spring yeah, Hayes was pretty awful last year, but he was playing as a freshman. Another year underneath him, he might be a little bit better. Or you could spin it the other way and say the spring season really didn't show anything at all, and Vanderwall is not very good, and Idaho State from there is is just not going to be any good. I do want to mention JT Jones jumping into the comment section. Hard to rate ISU there with them beating us a lot recently. It really isn't that hard for me to rate them there. Uh, you look at it as kind of Eastern versus Idaho in the last few years. There have been a couple times that Idaho has gotten Eastern, but I don't think anybody would, would say that that makes Eastern not one of the top teams in the Big Sky. Now, this year, pending this poll here, they might not be a top team in the Big Sky, but historically, they have been a top team in the league. And yes, Idaho's gotten them once or twice, but that's the you know the rivalry game. Anything can happen. That's the same way I picture this Idaho State team. Yes, they have beaten Idaho a handful of times recently. That doesn't take away from the fact that they are ass cheeks every other week. And, and just to walk through those two games, well, look, most recently Idaho beat Idaho State in the most meaningless football game in the history of football to close out 2021 when both coaches were fired. Then in the spring Idaho State barely beat Idaho, but that was also the Nikhil Nair game where he passed he passed about 30% completion percentage and Idaho State barely won. So look, JT Jones, that's a reasonable point that look, I Idaho State has at least been competitive with Idaho. We're, we might get into that more in the Idaho section because I, I don't think it's a matter of Idaho State playing up. I think it's historically Idaho playing down. But that's to me, to me, that's a Look, Idaho State lost a lot of some skilled players, some good players too, like Tanner Connor, wide receiver, very good wide receiver, like NFL levels and like, you know, making a training camp roster. He's he's gone. Uh, running back Malachi Rango, he was pretty good last season. He's gone. So a ton of the names for Idaho State, they're just guys who we've never seen play in the big sky. So at this point, you look at Idaho State, they were terrible last season and some of their best players graduated, like O'Shea Trujillo, also a linebacker, he's gone. Whoever they have that's good, we've never seen them play. So until for until and Regal's a first year head coach. So until we see this footprint of how they're going to be different, I don't know how to put them any higher. I can't say I interviewed Charlie Regal at Media Day, and he said one of the things people will notice is Idaho State is going to probably try to run the ball more 
than they had over the last couple seasons, which stylistically is in line with a lot of the big sky, especially a big sky where there's turnover at the quarterback position. Dallas, you ready to move for me to move on to our next team? Yeah, absolutely, Brian. I was expecting more. Um, sorry. Well, I, actually, I've, got, sorry. I've got nothing more. Last thing. So one thing we didn't say about Idaho state, then I will move on. Glad for that filibuster is schedule wise. Idaho state does look, they do have an FCS out of conference game, which that's kind of a change in a lot of the, a lot of the big sky conference and that fewer teams are playing D two games. Um, Idaho state play hosts central Arkansas in the third week of the season. Idaho State also does not play Eastern Washington, UC Davis, or Sacramento State, which that's three teams projected to be in the top half of the conference. So I guess if you're looking at that range, well, they get to skip three of the better teams, which means they get to play all the shitty teams who aren't them. And Idaho State's going to play all the mid-tier teams. So there is some variability there schedule-wise as being more friendly. But even with that, I just I don't see any sort of case for why you'd pick Idaho State. Look, we, we just talked about Northern Colorado being terrible offensively. Well, Idaho State scored 15 touchdowns during the conference season. So not that much difference. Next team, and man, Dallas, I'm just going to say the next team, say like two things and throw it to you because you've been on the shelf for a little bit. Number 10 is Cal Poly. And Cal Poly, number 10, that's off the tubs of the club patron poll. And that is probably the safest place where I think Cal Poly should be. They have a returning quarterback, Spencer Brash, who is a transfer from Cal. He played with Bo Baldwin. That's Idaho State's head coach when he was at, when Bo Baldwin was at Cal. In seven games last year, Brash threw for 10 touchdowns, nine interceptions. To me, the storyline is depending on how you count, um, I'm going to count this as Bo, as Bo Baldwin's second season at Cal Poly. I know there's a spring and Dallas, when you jump in, you can explain why I'm wrong. I'm counting this as Bo Baldwin's second season. Cal Poly was pretty damn, was pretty damn awful last season. They were appallingly bad in the spring is two years enough to do the complete roster turnover that Idaho state is going to need, sorry, that, that Cal Poly is going to need to go from that triple option to more spread offense that Bo Baldwin runs uh, mixed. I read an interview with Bo Baldwin where he actually cited cost of living in uh, San Luis Obispo as more challenging to turning around Cal Poly than the academic standards of Cal Poly itself. To me, we're in the second year though. I don't think this is enough time relative to the floor of where Cal Poly started. I think we start to see some promise out of this team, which is why I'm I'm happy the patrons put Cal Poly at number 10. But I I think they're like Idaho State. Their battle right now is can they be the best of the worst few? No, I think you're exactly right. That's the that the the whole projection here for them is can they move past Idaho State and Northern Colorado out of the dungeon? And start to show flashes of, you know, Bo Baldwin was a great coach in the big sky. He can do it again. That's what th this year for them is going to be just trying to find the flashes, trying to find things to build on. Uh, like you said, the, you, know, you consider this his second year. I could consider this his third year. He's had three groups of recruits now. This is his third season in charge. Yes, he had the abbreviated spring season where we coined Coward Polly because they gave up after a couple games because they looked so bad. 
all of that aside, this is an extremely young team. If you, they actually published a depth chart going into the, the fall, their depth chart, they don't have a senior listed in the two deep for nine positions. They have three seniors starting on offense, four on defense. They are a very young team. And again, that's where Baldwin is getting his guys into this system and in playing football the way he wants to play it rather than trying to adapt these these guys that were running the triple option into, into his kind of players. So it's I don't see a whole lot of optimism here for, for this team. They have a couple really good players, uh, specifically their tight end, Ryan Rivera. He was second, uh, second team All-Big Sky last year. Uh, they had a, an honorable mention defensive end, uh, Elijah Ponder. They have a couple guys that are, are decent to build around, but realistically, they're just at the point of trying to age the old guys out and get Baldwin's recruits up to speed. And and their their schedule didn't do them a whole lot of favors. They don't play Northern Colorado, they don't play Idaho, and they don't play Weber State. Um, they're going to get pasted by Fresno State in the FBS. They're probably going to get crushed by South Dakota. They do play San Diego, who is in the Pioneer League and is not particularly good. So they might be able to pad an out-of-conference win, but they don't. It doesn't seem like they, this is a team that's just going to come out of nowhere like Sacramento State did a couple of years ago. It, it, this really feels like it's they're right in the middle point of that rebuild. And depending on if you think Baldwin is in his second or third year, you're really looking for next year to be the year that maybe a couple guys play really well this year and then lead the team into the top half of the big sky next year. Their schedule absolutely sets them up um, to just face plant early too. And the reason I bring that up is look, I've heard guys like Bobby Houck, head coach Montana, talk about the momentum of a season can it creates its own momentum, which is to say teams that start to win games, they start to believe they can win. People start to believe they they can win. That can change the composition of a team. Good Lord. Cal Poly, Dallas hit the schedule points. Yeah, they open up with Fresno State. Then they ha- they get San Diego, who, you know, pioneer con- non Pioneer Conference non-scholarship. After that, look, Dallas, you're right. They're probably going to lose to South Dakota. That's a pretty good Missouri Valley team. Then they open Big Sky play with with Sacramento State, who won the league last year with no conference losses. After Sacramento State, their only ray of hope is they have at Northern Arizona, at Idaho State. So they do get two teams that are Northern Arizona. That's one of those like – are they in the second tier teams? We're not sure. Idaho State, we just covered. After that run, where look, we already talked about three rough games. After Idaho State, Cal Poly plays Eastern, Davis, Montana, Montana State before closing season out Portland State. So if Cal Poly is going to show some growth, they better show it early because after October 15th, that's at Idaho State, it's more than a month before Cal Poly has any sort of shot just based off the talent that they're going to run up against. So yeah, I co-sign with you. Whether you say this is second or third, I don't think people should be impatient with Bo Baldwin whatsoever. I think this was a huge job and similar to how Idaho state, we said had a chance, like their schedule was a little bit more favorable. Cal Poly. No, if we're going strictly off strength, the schedule, I'd probably say Cal Poly should be towards the bottom, but I will never vote for a Ed McCaffrey team over Bo Baldwin team. Uh, that's our, that's all I have for, for number 10, Cal Poly Dallas. Are you ready for me to do a terrible job of surprising Martin and, uh, pick my number nine team? Absolutely. Let's do it. (sighs) 
I have to go Portland State at number nine. Uh, Portland State, top five Portland State, as Martin says in Chiron uh, right now. Look, they've been kind of a joke on our show for, for quite a while. And that like, on paper, that might be a little bit unearned. Portland State went five and six last season overall. One of those was a sub D1 win. They went four and four in big sky play. Idaho did beat them. But look, my storyline for Portland State is Mon- Portland State returns a lot of their returning of their roster from last season. But they lose one of their best quarterbacks in program history, meaning there's no way this team is going to be stronger offensively than they were last season. And they weren't a particularly good or impressive team last season anyway. It's not like Portland State. Portland State did have a nice win against Weber State. Other than that, they beat up on the bottom of the conference, which is what they tend to do year in and year out. I know year in and year out, they have high-ranked recruiting classes. That's just because they pull guys who who go to camps and get transfers from bigger cities. That's it. Um, I have, I think Bruce Barnum of the non-Ed McCaffrey options is easily for me. I'm fine calling him the coach I have the least confidence in in the league. So that would be my take on why Portland top five Portland State comes in at number nine is look, they do have some returning talent that so they should probably be understood as different from the worst of conference. But look, I think they're on their way down and Bruce Barnum's had one good season total. Otherwise Portland state has been sub 500 essentially his whole time. So why, why would they be better after they lose best quarterback and one of the best quarterbacks in program history? I mean, that's kind of the whole, the whole thing here. This is like the season that that determines if Barnum is ever going to do anything with this program. They brought back almost the entire team from last year, except obviously the quarterback. And that's that's the biggest problem for them. Davis Alexander graduates. Dante Shasheri is going to get the first crack to replace him. And that dude has, he's gone one for two for 12 yards in his career. Uh, he's got a couple rushing touchdowns, but he's the guy listed at the top of the death chart. Uh, they had a transfer from Cal, uh, Jaden Casey. He threw one pass last season. They have a new transfer from Tarleton State. Uh, his name is Mike Irwin. He went 11 for 26 with 134 yards, a touchdown, and a pick last year at Tarleton State. And then behind that, they have one senior and six other freshmen, uh, varying true freshmen or redshirt freshmen. So they have no idea what they're going to do at quarterback. They Brian's not, not kidding. They just went from probably the best quarterback in program history to less than two dozen snaps at quarterback realistically between the the top two guys and then the third guy had 26 attempts last year they have no idea what they're going to do there they do have anthony adams who is probably the best defensive player in the fcs uh he could end up putting together a troy anderson type of year where he gets gets himself all the way up to a day two pick uh anthony adams for anybody that doesn't know it has been first team all big sky his entire career uh both at safety and at cornerback he's He's electric. He is absolutely the best player on that team and would be probably the best player on just about any team in the big sky. Uh, but that comes down to Barnum hasn't done anything since his his first year with with guys that – I mean, were, he was the offensive coordinator, so they were kind of his. But since he's been in charge, the program has just slowly taken a, a, just a dive down the standings, and I, I don't see any reason for them to do anything better than that unless – one of these quarterbacks comes out and plays as well as Davis Alexander, but that's a complete question mark at this point. 
No, the, look, the last few seasons, they've been kind of like Idaho record wise of being in that five and seven, five and six, four and seven range. But if you go through wins, it's pretty damn average. They Portland State is pretty good at beating the shittiest teams in conference last season. Uh, look, they have five wins, one against Western Oregon. I'm not counting that just like I don't count Zach Kloss wins against Bible schools. So other than that, there's four wins. They beat Southern Utah, who was terrible. Southern Utah won no conference games. They beat Idaho State, who was terrible. They beat Cal Poly, who was terrible. They did have one okay win. They did have one solid win against Weber State. That's that's it. They, they had three terrible wins, and then they beat a Weber State team that unquestionably struggled last season. And they do. They have some guys they lost. You brought up Anthony Adams, which only reason why I'm going to touch here. It, look, obviously, Anthony Adams is very good. The difficulty, I'm going to say, with a guy like Anthony Adams in terms of the footprint on defense, obviously, if you have one of the best cornerbacks in the league, that's a, that's good. That's going to help out your defense overall. But cornerbacks can kind of – other teams can just throw away from the guy. And, yes, it does uh, it does limit some options for the, for the opposing team. But Anthony Adams has been on Portland State, and it didn't, didn't change that much for them last year in terms of like, well, teams just picking on the other cornerbacks worked out fine for, for opponents. I expect that's going to continue into this season. I, I, I also, people are probably hearing this. I've listened to some other previews. I don't know why big sky media has not given up on Portland state of year in year out, highly highly rated recruiting classes and it just doesn't really materialize and then this season they lost one of their better the best quarterbacks they've ever had yeah you can you can throw portland state out to me completely agree brian i i realistically like they have to catch absolute lightning in a bottle the way that Eastern caught Gage Gubrud as a walk-on who ended up being one of the best quarterbacks in their program's history. They're going to have to have, have something like that, just an absolute miracle happen. And there has been nothing to indicate in Barnum's tenure that, that, that that's a, a thing. So Portland State's also they're... one of the few teams that has a sub-D1 game on their schedule, mm-hmm. which makes me annoyed. They're playing Lincoln. God knows who Lincoln is. It's not Lincoln, Nebraska, for anybody that's listening. Uh, I just want to jump in for just a second. They are a non-D1 team. They are not even a division NCAA or NAIA school. This is their website. It is very bare. It is the equivalent of playing a Bible school for claws. That is how new they are. Okay. Yeah, this is just getting worse. They don't play Montana State, UC Davis, or Idaho State, but... Well, I mean, look, they, they don't play Montana State. That makes their schedule easier. UC Davis is, you know, in that mid-level. But they also, look, missing out on Idaho State, this has been a trademark of Portland State. They beat the shittiest teams. Well, there, there you go. They, they miss out on one of the shittier teams. I, I'm done. I'm done talking about Portland State. Dallas, I'm going to let you go. All right, that takes us to team number eight, and I am about to get booed out of the building. I am going to take Idaho number eight overall. And I know the comment section is about to explode. I know that we have talked a whole bunch of positivity about the way that Eck is turning this program around. But I also am trying to dabble with a a healthy dose of realism here. Idaho has looked pretty goddamn awful since they came down to the big sky. Now, I think that at the end of this year, I don't think Idaho is necessarily going to finish eighth. 
I do think that the major storyline here is going to be, wow, they replaced their idiot head coach with somebody that knew what they were doing, and all of a sudden they're a 500 or better ball club. But right now, the like the writing on the wall, if you're just trying to be impartial and look at everything that you can, Idaho has a handful of returning guys uh, from the All Big Sky teams. Uh, Favai Favai is fantastic. Roshan's great. Therese Trainer, Hayden Hatton, Logan Floyd. The, there, there's talent here. But Idaho hasn't had four D1 wins in a season since they returned to the Big Sky. Now, I think they can do that this year, but there's there's depth problems along the offensive line. The quarterback isn't settled yet, which I'm hoping means that it's because there's guys that are just blowing the doors off, but there is a, there is a chance that the quarterback competition isn't settled because nobody has grabbed the job yet. That is something we have to consider here. There is a there is a legitimate chance that this is more of a rebuild than we talked about. We got flamed like crazy for talking about how stupid Paul Petrino was in the last few years of his of his coaching. Well, if there's there were people out there that completely defended him and that he had done nothing wrong. If Paul Petrino hadn't done anything wrong, that means the talent on this team isn't good enough. So either those people were right and there's not enough talent on this team, or Brian and I were right. Paul Petrino was an idiot and replacing him is going to turn this completely around. I hope that that's what's going to happen. I right now I've got to take him at number eight, Brian fire back. We're going to have an episode next week to go really deep into Idaho. So I'm going to, I'm going to do more of the broad, what a national coverage might look like. And first, at number eight in the conference, to me, Dallas, this is where we've exited the teams that we know unequivocally they're going to suck. And we've now entered the world where there's an argument for why these, these teams could be at or just slightly above 500, but there's an ar- there's also arguments why they're not going to make 500. The argument against Idaho making 500, one thing we've talked about is Idaho, look, this is Jason X first year. Just like we talked about Charlie Regal, it takes time to get all the guys you need to get for the head coach to get the footprint on it, his program he wants. Jason Eck has been clear. His work at South Dakota was developing linemen, and that takes time. Idaho has a hand, has a good set of – we talked about last week with Taryn. The, the number ones on Idaho's offensive line are good big sky linemen. Might not be all league, but they're good. There's a gigantic drop-off right now between the ones and the twos, and you know offensive linemen are going to go down throughout the year. hold that at the same time with our defense should be significantly improved, but like our past defense last season was worst in the league. So just doing anything different at all should, should improve it. We Idaho picked off two passes total in big sky play last season. So from this far away, that's why a person should be skeptical about Idaho is look, you Dallas talked about the quarterback of, we haven't had a guy separate himself. Bigger deal is if slash when offensive linemen go down, Eck hasn't been there long enough to get his guys um, the, to develop enough off- offensive linemen. And again, like I'm filibustering Dallas for like two seconds. One of the big differences between Jason Eck and Paul Petrino is Paul Petrino used a ton of his walk-on spots for wide receivers who never saw the field. Jason Eck is using his walk-on spots for linemen and some tight ends who, if a nu- just a few of those guys develop and eventually play, it's going to make a radical difference in the kind of team we have. It's the model he did at South Dakota State, but it's his first year. 
I wouldn't put Idaho this low, but the point of this is not to talk about polls. It's why would you be skeptical skeptical about Idaho Take 5? That's why. Dallas also talked about why a person could be bullish on Idaho being good this season is that if you think Idaho had enough talent to be solid in the big sky, we just need to get rid of a moron coach. We got rid of a moron coach. We've already heard Rob Orich on, on our show talk about how the defense is going to look different. We've already heard reports that the defense look, looks much better. I believe those reports, and I think it's going to yield differences. But if you're like taking this from a national perspective, until the first-year coach shows that stuff, we haven't seen it. So though there should be optimism in Moscow like we have right now, there's a reason some people are having Idaho at number eight. And Dallas, Idaho, we have Idaho at number eight. Well, the coaches put Idaho at number eight, and the media put Idaho at number nine in preseason poll. That sounds like a pretty your slotting of them is pretty indicative of where the view of Idaho, of Idaho football outside of Moscow is right now. I mean, I think it's, it's a lot of the same reasons that I kind of pointed out. Like there, there's just not a lot of depth here uh, for all of the, the great recruiting classes that Petrino had. There's just not a lot of depth here. Um, and you're not going to, you're not going to get through a season fully healthy. If, if, Idaho did we got get through the entire season with you know, whoever gets the quarterback job, be it Jabore, be it CJ, be it Geo, Jack Lane, Ridge Dutchakal, hell, Nate Cisco comes back. Whoever it ends up being, if that person plays every single snap and the the five guys that are playing first day in the offensive line, if they play every single snap, then yeah, this is a completely different story. But that's that's not what's going to happen. And so when there's three starters down on the offensive line. I don't think there's enough depth here to to carry Idaho through the the bulk of the season, and that's that's why I have them at number eight. Which takes us, and again, listeners, we're going to talk about Idaho for a long time next week. We're on purpose not doing the Idaho deep dive two weeks in a row. That takes us to the patron pull at the number seven position, the auto draft. That is going to be your Northern Arizona Lumberjacks head coach Chris Ball is this his fourth season this is his fourth it depends on how you count if you're no this is this be his third season um Chris Ball came to northern Arizona in 2019 took over for a longtime head coach Jerome Sowers and NAU has they've been a different version to me of Portland State since uh Chris Ball's been here like 2019 team was decimated with injuries but was not particularly great there in that five-way tie for last place uh two and six in conference four and eight overall in uh 2020 they were i mean they were okay at, but sub 500 and then in 2021 they're four and four five and six again right in that portland state kind of level that is at the literal level some improvement so i guess uh there's if you're looking at, hey, why would a person pick NAU in, the, in this new tier of teams that could be okay, could be terrible? Why would you pick NAU over Idaho? Well, NAU has beaten Idaho the last couple times and four and four, five and six with a returning quarterback, RJ Martin, one of the few returning quarterbacks, RJ Martinez, uh, who was, is, it took about four weeks into the season, four or five weeks in the season for NAU to figure out what they're doing at quarterback. Freshman RJ Martinez was freshman of the year that seat. Last season looked pretty good. They also returned one of the best running backs in the league, and Kevin Daniels. He's a sophomore. He was second-team All-Big Sky last season. That's two young contributors 
meaning that they contributed significantly as freshmen coming back, just basic improvement, even if it's not wholly linear from, from those two, you would assume that means Northern Arizona is a little better. Plus they've had guys like Anthony Swinney. He's, he's safety. He's been a contributor in the big sky for a while, but missed a good amount of the spring and last season with injuries. So I guess that would be the case Dallas about why you might pick NAU over Idaho. But I got to say to set you up when I've watched NAU play against Idaho, I have not left just radically impressed with what's going on in Flagstaff. No, I completely agree. This is like the most mediocre team of mediocre teams. Uh, Ball has done a fine enough job there. Uh, went four and eight his first year, uh, three and two in the spring of 2021. And then the fall of 2021, they went five and six. Like they're, they're just kind of stuck in neutral. But like you said, RJ Martinez, RJ Martinez might be a, one of the best quarterbacks in the big sky right now. I mean, he, he's the one of the few guys returning. Like you could make a case that he's one of the three best quarterbacks in the conference just because he's one of the few guys that came back. He looked pretty good. He was the freshman of the year last year. Like they have some talent and that's, I think that's why they kind of slot here in the, you know, that five through eight range of like the teams that are maybe going to be able to, to try to push for a playoff spot or maybe they're going to struggle to go 500. That's, that's what this team is. I, 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 it's tough to, it's, it's, it's really tough to project this team. They have the quarterback. They have one of the best running backs in, in the league. They have a, a stud offensive lineman. They have Morgan vested in the, the secondary, and he's one of the better players in the league. They have a couple guys that are studs and then, everything else is just kind of meh. They had seven or eight receivers last year that all got considerable playing time. None of them were like world beaters. They, they, they're just a, a team with a bunch of decent players that doesn't seem to, to get everything to click. Now, if they're all growing, you know, maybe this is the year that they take that step forward, but really what we have seen throughout all of balls tenure is they're just, they kind of hang around. they, they play down to bad teams and up to good teams, and they they kind of do what Petrino did before the wheels fall off. Of they're just kind of stuck there, not really making progress one way or the other. Now, schedule wise, Northern Arizona they play two FCS games, which good news for them. They play two FCS games. Down downside, uh, there's no guaranteed win on their FCS slate. Last season they played South Dakota, which is this FCS slate. They got just destroyed. Now. It should be understood. It took Chris Ball about four to five games to figure out RJ Martinez was the guy. I mean, Northern Arizona lost to Northern Colorado last season, but from then on, they were they were a bit better. Out of conference, they play at Arizona State. That's Pac-12. They play at Sam Houston State, which is a that is a rough FCS game. Then they also host North Dakota. Missouri Valley teams tend to be tough. Schedule-wise, they do have the benefit here, and this is something that we glossed over on Idaho because we were trying to move on and talk about Idaho more next week. NAU does not play Montana. They do not play Eastern and they do not play Sacramento state, uh, which means they, you know, if you think NAU can do, can handle this season, they get all the bad teams on in the conference, but they also play almost all the mid tier teams, meaning they get skip out on some of the potentially rougher games. So, like, they do have some schedule points in their flavor. I do favor. I do want to play a quick game with you, Dallas. Uh, RJ Martinez, touchdown to interception ratio from last season. 
Was it two to one, two touchdowns to one pick? Was it better than that or worse than that? I know what the answer is to this, but I will, I'll, I'll play along. I will say it was better than that. Yeah, it was slightly better in conference play. Uh, RJ Martinez, 13 touchdowns and one pick. Uh, statistically, he was clearly the third most productive quarterback in the league. That's as a true freshman. Uh, and it just took a while for him to get it, for him to clearly get the starters role. And he played against Northern Colorado. So essentially it took a week for him to get things figured out. So I now feel like I'm talking myself into Northern Arizona as a team to buy into a little bit more, but I'm not going to let go. Again, when Idaho has lost to Northern Arizona, those were some of the most frustrating games to me because Idaho just Idaho looked talent wise like we were better than Northern Arizona. I don't think that much has changed in this past season unless um, RJ Martinez takes a step that we takes a developmental step, step, which is on the table. But another thing to keep in mind, guys, we see this time and time again in college sports. Being very good as a freshman does not mean you're going to be better as a sophomore guy has to actually do it. Mo a lot of fans assume linear growth from year to year. Absolutely. That is not the case with many players. If RJ Martinez is better, Northern Arizona is probably better, but uh, 13 TDs to, to one INT is pretty damn good. No, I mean, and that's, uh, that's really, uh, that's what you get when we get to the, you know, this is team seven. They're right there on the hinge of the middle of this, this grouping. This is what you get. This team could, you know, if if Martinez takes another step, we could be talking about NAU in the playoffs come, I don't know, by the time they, they beat Cal Poly, if they somehow have beaten Idaho, Portland State, and Cal Poly in a 3-0 in, in big sky play, it is time to start talking about this team might make the playoffs. Like, they have Idaho State and Northern Colorado on the schedule after that. There's realistically five wins on the table if they pick off – Montana State or Weaver State or UC Davis somehow like this is a playoff team or Martinez doesn't take the step forward they lose to Idaho they lose to Portland State they go into the Cal Poly game thinking we have to win out if we want to do anything this season so that we're really at that point of we don't know this team could be really good this team could be mediocre to bad it's just it depends on the growth of some of these guys we're at number six now, which is my draft pick. And Martin, again, I am just hanging you out to dry in terms of giving you advance notice. To me, Dallas, we're, we're still in that mid-tier of these. There's a case these teams are not that great. There's a case these teams are okay. But we've kind of shifted into if you're a gambler, you're more likely to gamble on the next couple teams we, we go over as being better. Whereas like NAU and Idaho, because those teams have not done it yet, you're more likely to gamble them as being lower. And Martin, oh, Martin, you got it. UC Davis is my pick at number six, which I got to tell you of the, I really want to be low on UC Davis compared to the rest of the conference above them. UC Davis was picked as number five in media, number five by coaches. Tub patrons were absolutely right throwing UC Davis at number six. And the, the re, part of why I am not that high on UC Davis is these the last couple seasons UC Davis has been like a fringe level playoff team in the spring season Dan Hawkins told me at media day they got invited but turned it down um, I asked him like to confirm like so you are telling me you were on the phone and someone told you that you guys could go and you you guys chose not to and he gave a non-answer so I, I think that's bullshit I don't think they made it in, in spring 
Last season, UC Davis made it in as like one of the last teams in the playoffs, and they got immediately killed by South Dakota State and Jason X team. They finished eight and four on the overall season, five and three in conference play. Um, they return they returned the best running back in the league, Yulonzo Gilliam. Uh, he was the preseason offensive MVP. He's a hundred yards away from setting the all-time UC Davis record. What to me is unclear is again, I don't think UC Davis was that great last season. We have no idea who their starting quarterback is going to be. Um, it, it was kind of all over the place due to injuries last season, but Hunter Rodriguez is no longer listed on the roster. Don't know if he graduated or not because I didn't follow him that much. Miles Hastings would be the person you'd put as their on-paper leader. He threw seven uh, touchdowns, eight interceptions last season. But UC Davis, to me, since 2018 – which is when they had their kind of their big turnaround season, lost to Eastern in the playoffs. They've been more or less treading water, as in they, they missed the playoffs in 2019. I, I don't think they made the playoffs in the spring. They narrowly made the playoffs in 2021, got their ass kicked. The whole point to me here is, and if over those three years, the roster didn't really retool, you didn't see this continued growth after Hawkins' one great season. I... And the reason why to me is I just think they're a solid team, a solid but unspectacular team. I think that's who they are. Um, this is a team I will absolutely star as potential underachiever. But uh, Dallas, tell me why I'm wrong or tell me, just take it wherever you want. No, I, I completely agree with you. I do have a quick correction on Hunter Rodriguez. Hunter Rodriguez uh, graduated and decided to go play professional football. He's currently in Sweden playing American football. For the Tyreso AFF Royal Crowns. Uh, so I could not imagine why you would choose that over UC Davis, but you know, more power to him, which which means that yes, Miles Hastings is probably the on-paper leader for their typical quarterback. They also have Trent Tompkins that they used as their running quarterback, uh, sort of in the same role that Zach Borish played last year. Uh, he did play a little bit against Idaho, so they have that, but like you said, Brian, this team is is just very unspectacular. There's nothing about them that screams like that screams they're going to do something really successful this year. I, I still don't believe in Cody Hawkins as their offensive coordinator. I don't think their offense looked particularly good last year. I I just don't see it in the cards for this team. Uh, there's nothing about them that screams that they're incredible. Uh, they have a couple offensive linemen that are, that are decent. Connor Pettick and Jake Parks are pretty good. They both have, have made preseason accolades in the big sky and, and been named to historical teams. Yulonzo Gilliam's going to end up being their all-time rushing leading record by the end of the season, assuming he stays healthy. But beyond that, there, there's just not a lot to go on here. They're, they, they're figuring out the quarterback, which I, I know just about everybody is at this point. And sure, maybe one of them goes off, but there's just nothing about this team that says that they're going to make that step into being more than just a fringe playoff team. And the five, six range is, is perfect for, for what this team is. And, and for UC Davis last season, look, this is why I'm not high on them is last season, UC Davis, they were, their entire season was made in week one when they beat a terrible FBS Tulsa team, 19 to 17. Other than that, kind of out of nowhere win once you look at the rest of their schedule. Against playoff teams, UC Davis universally got their ass kicked last year. They 
they got killed by Eastern 38 to 20, lost 27 to 7 to Sac State, and then were just embarrassed 56 to 24 at South Dakota State in the FCS playoffs. This season, though, man, UC Davis has one of if look, if you want Idaho to have a schedule to get them set up to have a turnaround, my God, what you want them to have is UC Davis's UC Davis's schedule. They don't play Eastern. They don't play Montana downside. Like they don't play, they, they don't play Portland state, but they also have two FCS out of conference games, including against, against San Diego. But otherwise they've got a lot of the weaker or questionable part of the conference, especially after October 8th, they get Northern Arizona, Northern Colorado, Cal Poly, Idaho state. That's before playing Idaho. So look, if we talked about Cal Poly having a schedule set up to kill momentum, well, look, midseason UC Davis has a schedule that's going to that should give them at least four wins. So look, they're going to finish at least like around that 500-ish area. I just don't think this is a team that should be any in any sort of discussion about moving into that upper tier because I I don't think there's any evidence at this point. I mean, look at their stats from last season in terms of offense, overall total offense, total defense. You just have to believe there's a huge influx of talent because total offense, UC Davis was number eight in the league. And then total defense, UC Davis was number 10 in the league. They still made the playoffs, but it was partially because they had an easy as hell schedule. So again, an, an unspectacular team has an easy schedule this season. They're going to be at worst case scenario, 500-ish. But that's why I, that's why I, they are to me, they have underachiever or like getting their at if they, Face plant in the playoffs, they have getting their ass kicked in round one written all over them. Well, and one of the things you, that you didn't mention about their schedule is, yeah, the back half of their schedule sets up really nicely, but the first half of their schedule is hell. They go to Cal, FBS, they go to South Dakota State, they host San Diego, then Weber State, and then they go on the road to Montana State. So there is a, a very realistic chance that they go one and four to start the year. And then, yes, they run into NAU, NOCO, Cal Poly, Idaho State, Idaho, before finishing up with the Causeway Classic. So they they could rattle off five wins there, and all of a sudden you're six and four going into the last game of the season. So there, there certainly is an easy easy end to that schedule. But they also do go through a, a bit of a murderer's row there, running into – I know Weber State has maybe not been quite as well as, as they had been in previous years, but there's still a pretty decent program down there. I, I hate to admit it, but – this is a team that could run into just a bunch of problems. They could, I mean, I've made that argument for Idaho for years of going through just the buzzsaw at the start of the season and you kill all of your momentum. They do have that bye week separating Montana state and Northern Arizona for themselves, but they could absolutely run into a buzzsaw here, be one and four and just get caught by NAU. And then all of a sudden your season's over. I've got no pushback. Of no, you're, you're right. They've got the both saw that. I mean, to me, they have 500 ish written all over them schedule wise. With the again, the NAU game is probably the most important game uh, UC Davis has of the entire season. You ready to? We're, we're now getting into more interesting non Idaho teams to me. Dallas, you've got the number five pick. Yeah, with the number five pick, we're going to go with, with our pals over in Cheney, the Eastern Washington Eagles. Uh, obviously. Last year, ten and three, lost to number six Montana, what fifty-seven to forty-one, something like that, in the the second round of the FCS playoffs. 
uh, in a rematch of a game that they'd already beaten Montana once. Uh, their preseason uh, number 15 in the stats poll, 18 in the hero poll. The big storyline here is what are they going to do at quarterback? Uh, they lost Walter Payton award winner, Eric Berrier. He's going to be yet another person to add to the list of all these legendary Eastern quarterbacks. They have uh, redshirt senior Gunnar Talkington, who is the leader in the clubhouse. And it seems like he's going to be the guy, but he seems like he's more of a game manager uh, for anybody that followed Eastern throughout the last decade or so. Think of the transition between Vernon Adams and Gage Grubrud. There was one year of Jordan West in there. He was a fine quarterback, but he wasn't good enough to, to carry the team past six and five. That's probably what they're looking at with Talkington, but they do have, like, they do have a bunch of talent there. They have a bunch of guys returning from all big sky lists. Now, did some of those offensive guys, did they get, elevated by Barrier, are they enough to elevate Talkington? They're a very this is like the, the most intriguing team to me on the in the big sky because there's absolutely the chance that Talkington does show up and they they put together nine or ten wins again or there's a chance he shows up and he is Jordan West and they struggle to hit 500. This is probably the most I think variant team uh, of any of the teams in the big sky. 100%. It's not even worth looking up their offensive stats to compare from last season because it's just going to be a different animal without Eric Berrier. I interviewed Aaron Best at Media Day. He said that Gunnar Talkington is the guy and that there isn't a clear number two at this point. So I'm I'm in the same world as Dallas of, look, if, if Eastern's going to rebuild, which Eastern has a reputation for rebuilding that they've earned, even down Eastern seasons where, look, on this show, former contributors uh, have talked about uh, Aaron best having quote unquote prove it years. Well, look, Aaron best worst seasons are seven and four and seven and five. So he dude's been steady. He's had some good guys, but he's been only steady. And what Aaron best would tell you himself is one of the things that people don't really pay attention to at Eastern. He's built pretty damn good offensive lines. Like the offensive line for Eastern men. That's not a question this season. They have a, they've got a lot of guys in that 300-pound range, expect Eastern Including to run the ball. Seth Carnahan, former Vandal. Yep, and expect Eastern to look, if Talkington remains the guy, I would just expect that they're going to look different. They're probably going to be like a lot of teams in the big sky where they're going to run a little bit more than they have historically. Although, I mean, Eastern still, even losing last season, Eastern, yes, they lost the best quarterback. They lost easily the best receiver in the league last year as well in Talola Limu Jones. Well, Eastern still returns multiple former all big sky wide receivers and Freddie Roberson. And then preseason, um, what preseason wide receiver on the all big sky team, Efton Chisholm, the third, he's a sophomore. He's still on the team. So there's still certainly talent at skill positions. It's an absolute question. If they're going to have a quarterback who can be good enough, the question shouldn't be, can they get the next historic all big sky guy? If they do sweet, but can Eastern get enough production out of that position Look, they've got the offensive line to tell you why you'd think they would. Eastern, they a point against Eastern, though, schedule-wise. They don't play Davis, NAU, or Idaho State. And Eastern has two really rough FBS games of, against Oregon and Florida. So this is a team that schedule-wise... Uh, man, they're playing. Look, they play Montana, they play Montana State, they play Weber State, they play Idaho. They play essentially every good team in the league, and they play. They play a, a, then a split of the okay and the shitty teams, but they don't. They don't have an imbalance there. 
So I think Eastern schedule does make things a little bit rougher and put them at a ceiling of fringe playoff, but that would be in line with their previous, you know, quote unquote rebuilding seasons of when they've won seven games and not made the playoffs. They were still a solid team. They're still a team that I think of the mid tier we've talked about, this is the team that I'd kind of point to as in, I, I think talent wise, this is a, a not top three team that is the most likely to push up into top three. That's all I got. No, I, I couldn't agree more. They lost eight all conference talents last year and they still have five guys that came back with all conference honors. Like this is a really deep program. Uh, one thing to note they haven't missed the playoffs in back-to-back years since 2002-2003. So even if they do struggle this year and miss the playoffs, next year's squad, just based off of their 20-year history, they're probably going to turn it around and make the playoffs again if they miss it this year. So I think that fringe playoff team is exactly what they are. Even if they are rebuilding, they're probably a 500 or better team that just doesn't quite have enough to get over the hump. The one thing I do want to point out, if Gunnar Talkington does struggle, they do have Trey Turner. He's a redshirt sophomore. He was the scout team player of the year in the spring season. He has not seen any action in an Eastern uniform. He's the type of guy that I think would be, hey, Jordan West is just not the guy. Season's over. Let's get get him out of there and, and try a young kid. And then it ended up being Gubrud, who was phenomenal until he got hurt and Barrier took over. Trey Turner could be that guy if Talkington struggles. And we just went over the story that I think is going to frame this season is do we, does Eastern move on from Talkington? Talkington hadn't looked great in his, in the the small amount of snaps he got. However, the team's going to be, it's just going to have a different personality. It's not going to like the play calling with when you don't have the best quarterback in the nation, it just changes. That puts us up to number four. And this is the tubs at the club uh, patrons slot. And number four here is the exact same team that Tubbs patrons put as number four, which is uh, Weber State Wildcats, who missed the playoffs in 2021. But uh, prior to that, Weber State had either won the conference or had a share of the conference title each of the past four seasons. Going to take one second to shit on Weber State. They play Western Oregon to open the season. That's a Division II team. There's only a a few sub-D1 games in the entire big sky schedule of the, the composite schedule of all the teams total. And Weber state has one of them. Uh, they do get Utah tech formerly known as Dixie state in the out of conference and Weber state doesn't, this is where you, I mean, pause for Weber state. They don't play Idaho, Northern Colorado or Cal poly, which means two of the worst teams they don't play. And they play all of the teams that are in the top or thought of as being in that middle tier of the conference. The story here, Jay Hill's teams, they have a a pretty damn set personality. They play great defense. They're going to get points on special teams. Can they score at all? Last season, it, it didn't work. And last season to me, it looked like the rest of the conference is kind of catching up in physicality. Whereas I don't know if Jay Hill's teams are going to be able to continue to make the playoffs unless he can take a Xanax and let his offensive coordinator do something. But that, that to me is, is the question about what's really going to define the season for Weber State. Bron- Bronson Barron, he's a solid quarterback, is back. Josh Davis, great running back, is back, although he's had some pretty significant injury issues. But um, a rough schedule mixed with, I think, the rest of the conference is catching them. 
that's why you'd be questionable at number four. But the reason you put him at number four is Jay Hill is only a good coach who's had essentially only good teams. No, I the one thing I do want to point out about Weber State is we don't know yet if their offense is going to be the same three yards in a cloud of dirt and hope to score outscore teams 12 to nine. Like we don't know if that's going to happen this year. They do have a new offensive coordinator. Uh, his name is Mickey mental. He was actually hired from a D two school, uh, Notre Dame college in Ohio. Uh, in his time there, they went 16 and two. He is uh, again, an offensive guy. They averaged 40.6 points a game last year. They, they scored a ton. So if, if this guy's bringing a new offense here, uh, you know, some of the guys in the Big Sky Podcast Network think really highly of Bronson Barron at quarterback. Maybe they let him sling it around a little bit more, and maybe they do unlock a new tier of their offense, and maybe they're scoring in the 20s consistently or maybe even the high 20s. But, Brian, I, th- I think your points are valid here. Weber, I think Weber, as long as Jay Hill is there, their defense is always going to be physical. It's always going to be good uh, in varying stages of good. It's going to be one of the top at least top half defenses in the league. But I, I just don't know if if they're going to score enough points. And right now, based on how their offense has looked throughout the Jay Hill tenure, you can't say they're going to immediately turn around, turn it around. This new offensive corner offensive coordinator might do something and they might really unlock the offense. But realistically, you're going to see the same team that Weber State has just been rolling out for years. They're going to punch you in the mouth over and over and over and hope that eventually you fall over. Brian, you're muted. Motherfucker. Knew it was going to happen. Weber State's offensive stats from last season are better than you might guess from the tone that we've brought up. They're number seven in total offense. They found a way to score more touchdowns than Northern Colorado. But like in conference play, Weber State... They scored ten. They scored ten total touchdowns, and there a lot of their points were based off of just destroying terrible teams. Like they beat Southern Utah sixty-two to zero last year. So look, Weber State has a baseline of talent that is clearly going to put them at worst case scenario, probably slightly above five hundred or right around that five hundred. I have heard of Weber State getting new offensive coordinators before because that's the nature of FCS football. As coordinators do move on and not a lot has changed so look you're right again we we talk about the case for idaho and the case against idaho the the case for weber state is if jay hill can let it let go of the control on the overall game plan needing to mesh the way it does for his the type of football he likes and if the quarterback they have returning bronson baron who has looked good at times but he's had injury issues too um, if he can produce in a way that is different because he, he has a little bit more flexibility, a little bit more freedom, that's the case for this team being better. Uh, the case for this team being not that much better is, look, we, we've seen Weber State have turnover in terms of quarterback, in terms of, in terms of offensive coordinator, and just not a ton changes. And if you look at Weber State when they played teams that were not terrible, uh, their schedule doesn't look particularly great from last season. You know, they're outclassed by James Madison. They lost to a not that great UC Davis team and to close and towards the end of the season with Port Weber state put up 18 points against a not good Portland state team. That's why to me, I, 
you're going to have there. There's got to be some growth that we haven't seen yet to explain why Weber State would be higher than four. But with the talent, with the defense, with the defense they play, they're certainly not going to slide very far back. No, and and the one thing that that we should point out here is Josh Davis, their running back, missed a lot of time last year. He's a two-time All-American. He was hurt most of last year. If he's back healthy and if he's able to play all year long, then then maybe this team does get through the the twelve to nine games. Maybe they they succeed enough a little bit more in that. He is one of the best players in the Big Sky. I. I, the Weber State guys would argue he's the best running back in the conference. You could say maybe Lonzo Gilliam is, but he's up there along, alongside the best runners in the conference. If he's fully healthy, this team could go back to the same way that they won a share of the Big Sky title four years in a row. If he struggles or he's not 100%, then we're probably looking at Weber doing about the same thing, being on the fringe of the playoffs, needing to needing a couple close games to go their way in those those 12 to 9 battles. And look the momentum argument against them right now is look starting in Big Sky Conference play they open up with UC Davis, one of those could be solid, we'll see teams. Then they they have a week off, then they have Eastern, we just talked about Eastern. They do get Portland State who sucks. So, if Weber's good, they might have momentum with some wins in those 3 in those 3 weeks I just covered. They better get those wins because following those three weeks, which those are already, you know, UC Davis Eastern are solid teams. Once we hit late October, Montana State, Montana, Sacramento State, back to back to back to back. That is probably going to determine how Weber's schedule turns out. If Weber goes two and one in those games, we've got a good Weber team. If they if they're one and two, maybe they're still alive for the playoffs. But zero and three is absolutely on the table. That doesn't even mean that they won. Both the both the games previously against where uh, against UC Davis and Eastern. I'm ready to move on Dallas. Any point you want to hit on before we go? No, I think uh, I think we've hit every point. Okay, we're this is this would be my draft pick, and man, differentiating these next three teams is tough. I'm going to go with Sacramento State at the as the number three team. Um, Sacramento State, the, the look, the concern I have with Sacramento State is probably the same concern people are going to have nationally with Sacramento State. It's new that they're consider, considered amongst the elite in the conference, but hey, they've won a share or won the league outright the last two normal, se- normal seasons. But in both those seasons, Sac State has no playoff wins to show. And we're look, we're now talking about the teams where how they do in the playoffs is going to dictate what their season is. I don't think you can move. You should think of Sacramento State beyond number three in the conference until they do something against better teams. They also had a Sacramento State, State had a very, very easy schedule last season. And this season, they don't have that same benefit. The teams they don't play are Idaho State, Montana State, and NAU. So they look, they lose out on one team that sucks, one middling team, and one good team. But that means they play essentially a a nice even split of good, middling, terrible teams through the conference. They have that hybrid quarterback system that is just it's unique relative to how the big how almost any FCS team is. And that Asher O'Hara is he's kind of their their Zach Borish at quarterback, except they use more creative plays with him. He's he's their change up. 
their returning quarterback, Jake Dunaway. He, he was, uh, he was all big sky last, last season as a third team took a little bit of time for him to really, uh, find his groove. But Jake Dunaway is one of the best returning quarterbacks. I have one of the best wide, wide receivers returning in Pierre Williams, first team all league last season, preseason all team this year. Uh, they also have one of the better running backs, Cameron Scadaboo coming back as well. That's how they can lose a guy like Elijah Dotson to Northern Colorado. And who cares? Cause Troy Taylor has one. Well, he's only one game since he's been there, but two, he has been recruiting more talent, uh, but because of how much a favorable schedule probably impacted why this team went eight, no in conference play last season. That's why three is the right spot to me. No, I, I think, I think this is the perfect place for them. Uh, I think when you look at Sac state and just historically what they've done, they, they've definitely proven that they are one of the top teams in the conference. I mean, I know they had an easy schedule last year. You play who you play. They're back-to-back conference champs. Now they did get, extremely overwhelmed in the uh, playoffs against X own South Dakota state team. Uh, the, the two QB system is, I have always believed if you have two, two QBs, you have zero QBs. So the, the Dunaway O'Hara thing is weird, but they both are all big sky talents. Uh, you also didn't mention uh, Marshall Martin might be the best tight end in the big sky. Like they have, they have a bunch of pieces here, but, is there is there enough to keep this going? I, I think very highly of Troy Taylor. I think very highly of the coaching staff he's put together. Uh, we we talked about uh, their defensive coordinator as a potential get for Idaho when we were doing our who's the coach going to be trying to just speculate and keep content rolling when Petrino was fired. But does this team have the ability to break through and and actually win a playoff game and prove that they belong along? You know, spoiler alert, the two teams we haven't named are Montana and Montana State. Like Historically, the, the two bullies at the top of the conference. Does Sacramento State exist alongside them? I don't know if you can say that. And, and looking at the schedule, they start off with actually a pretty great poll. Their first two Big Sky games are Cal Poly and Northern Colorado. So realistically, they should just walk right over them. Then they go into Eastern Washington. Depending on how Eastern is doing, that could be a game that Sacramento State walks away with pretty handily before they run into Montana October 22nd. So the the thing about Sacramento State is we're probably going to be having the same talks that we've had the last few years. Hey, they're at the top of the conference. Are, are they legit? Are they for real? We're probably not even going to know that until the Montana game. And it's, it's tough to speculate because of just the way that their schedule does roll out with, they have the cream puffs to start, which is, is a great way to build yourself momentum when you're trying to get into conference play. Land in OOC. They open up with Utah Tech, aka former Dixie. That should mm-hmm. be a win. Question, I guess, for Sacramento State is they were they hung tough but lost against Northern Iowa last season at Sacramento, but it took him a while. It took Troy Taylor a while to figure out you reference the two quarterback system, and you're correct. It is two quarterbacks, but listeners, it's look, it's different than, for example, when Paul Petrino played two quarterbacks with Mason Petrino and Colton Richardson where it's essentially the same offense. You're seeing who's better out of the two. It's just radically different when Ash O'Hara is, is on the field. He's an, he's more of an athlete. He can pass. He can pass well enough to be a weapon, but he is a runner primarily. So when Ash O'Hara is on the field, it's, it's rushes or it's, it's more short passes. It's very different. Jake Dunaway, it's more of a traditional offense. But like I said, uh, Sac State has a schedule to potentially get momentum. I just think I think Sac State has shown us that they're they're talented, 
but as we whenever when they've made it to the playoffs when they get towards the end of the season it tends to just it hasn't worked out yet relative to what you'd expect an undefeated big sky conference team to be now last season sacramento state did they nearly beat south dakota state but they didn't so that's two two conference titles and no playoff wins that's why they're number three that's why they can add that resume the last two years have returning talent and they're clearly not going to move up beyond three threes where the coaches and media put them as well Dallas. The coaches actually put them at second. I will point that out. The coaches actually put them at second above Montana State. And then in the uh, the polls, they're seven in the stats poll and tenth in the hero poll. Okay. Thank you for, for thank you for that. I'm gonna stand by what I said. I don't think there's reason yet to put them above the top two, but there's no question to me. I like I'd put them above Weber State. They should be above Weber State. They should be above Eastern right now, based off what they've done, based off what's returning. Completely agree. We've talked negatively about them and, and the different we're, we're poking holes in them, but realistically, they are. I think they are a full head above Weber. They're above Eastern. They're above UC Davis. I do think that they are. They are absolutely a class above all of these teams. And without, as long as something doesn't go horribly wrong with injuries or or otherwise, this is a, a pretty close to a playoff lock. This team is. It, it is a very good team. We're just we're talking about the semantics of are they national title contending quality or or winning games in the playoffs quality or are they get into the playoffs and then get crushed by one of the Dakota schools and that's that's kind of the the nuance of this conversation, which leads me right into the national championship talk. We're down to Montana and Montana State. I'm gonna take Montana State at number two. And here's why Montana state did lose a handful of guys from last year's team. Obviously the big name, Troy Anderson, one of the highest draft picks that the big sky has ever had. He looks like he's going to end up having a pretty good NFL career based on just the place he was drafted. I mean, Atlanta's terrible. He's going to have a bunch of options to play. He's going to get a chance to play all over the place. Tommy Malott is yes, the preseason QB of the year, but he, didn't really play a whole lot, and we, I mean, we, we just don't really know what we're going to see with him. They did lose a, you know, a handful of guys. Uh, Lance McCutcheon is not there anymore. Daniel Hardy's not there anymore. Both of those guys are in the NFL now. But they they made it to the national championship game last year. It was Brent Vegan's first year, so that is a, a question. As they move farther and farther away from Jeff Choate's teams, is this going to continue? Can Tommy Mallott live up to the hype? But you look at the guys that they do have returning, Isaiah Afonso, probably the best running back in the big sky. But if you just went off of last year's production, they have Callahan O'Reilly, Ty Okada. They have they have a bunch of talent still in that system. And and they I mean, they just lost the national championship. Like you you don't lose the national championship and then immediately become a terrible team. Like they are going to be the the class of this conference once again. Yeah, the an asterisk I throw there is I've, Isaiah Fonze is going to be out for a little bit. He's listed as, I believe, month to month right now, so it's unclear when he'll be back. Which, which that doesn't mean that there aren't other. There's not other talent. I mean, uh, Elijah Elliott w- rushed for 243 yards in conference games last season, averaged 5.8 yards per carry. There, there's talent at the skill positions at, at Montana State. The I guess the point I'm going to look at here is. Montana State 
was a very good football team last year. And they've been a very good football team the last handful of seasons with essentially no to minimal quarterback play. There's a lot of faith being put in Tommy Malott based off a couple games now. And those are playoff games against Sam Houston state. Tommy Malott passed for 165 yards on 11 attempts and rushed for 76 yards on 17 attempts. Then against South Dakota state, he passed for 233 yards on 15 attempts and rushed for 155 yards. He got injured against North Dakota State. The floor of Tommy Malott is he's an electric rusher who can pass all right. I do think the voting him preseason all big sky and uh, some of the understanding of who Tommy Malott is right now more has to do with social media marketing and a couple, a couple good games against good teams for sure. But it's two games. Um, I I'm going to hold my breath on him being on Tommy Malott being as good as people believe in terms of the idea of linear growth. However, he's going to be a good player that just that any team would be happy to have on their team. And it doesn't matter what team Tommy Malott was on. Even if he wasn't playing at, at quarterback, he'd get the ball rushing. He is a guy you, you find play You find a way to get him the ball at some point. Other question here is Brent vegan went out of his way to maintain uh, coaching and roster roster continuity when he took over at Montana state last season was his first season making it to the championship game. Uh, Clearly they were a class below North Dakota state because Montana got killed in that championship game, 38 to 10 in a game that felt like it was a 500 point game. But again, like we're, we're splitting hairs here. I would kill for Idaho to get killed in the championship game. That's of course built off of Jeff Choate's talent from previous times each year. It's going to be more of a Brent vegan team, less of a Jeff Choate team. It is, it's a real question. Um, what kind of footprint that means for this team. But the question is only in terms of, can they win the league or how far into the playoffs are they going to be? I don't think Montana state has to worry much there. The Montana schools financially are different in terms of scheduling than a lot of the rest of the conference. You know, Montana State, in terms of getting momentum, they play McNeese State, that's FCS. They play Moorhead State, that's FCS. So they're going to have two out-of-conference wins, and they're at Oregon State, which if you're going to play a Power 5 team, that's probably who you want to play. Although Montana State's schedule is a little bit on the rougher side. Uh, you know, they don't they don't have Sac State. They don't have Idaho. They don't have Portland State. But that they, of course, always have Montana, and they have majority of some of the other – intermediate uh, kind of teams in the conference. That's the only reason I'd put them at number two um, talent wise they're They, they belong top three. There's almost no discussion. A disappointing Montana state season puts them in the playoffs just without a buy. Exactly. I think that's the floor for this team is the playoffs. There's, there's too much talent here. There's a ton of depth. Their offensive line is ridiculous. They're all pretty much sophomores and freshmen at this point. Uh, I mean, with the, the COVID year makes things different, but there's just there's an, an incredible amount of depth here. Uh, even if Malat isn't particularly good at throwing the ball, and even if he's just running around and doing athletic things like a boorish type player, this is still a playoff team. Uh, there, I don't see any instance that this team is not a playoff team, and I think that's that's what you get when you're when you're the number two team that we've listed in the conference, like you're going to be one of the best teams in the, the nation. I don't think they're a national championship winning program, but I mean, they made it there last year. They, they absolutely could again, if the chips fall correctly. For yeah, and I, I got to bracket this, this, when I talked about Tommy Malott, he's only produced as a passer in a couple games. 
that isn't meant to shit on the guy. If he can produce at all, like he did against Sam Houston in South Dakota State, the question about Tommy Mallott is, is he an All-American or not? Because he, he's that type of athlete. He can absolutely run the ball against anyone. And Montana State, like you talked about, the best programs in this league, it's not only that they get great talent, it's that they get a depth of talent, which they then supplement with transfers. That's Montana State. They have a ton of, they maintain pretty strong roster continuity. They have a pipeline of transfers from particularly uh, the Pac 12. And that's how they've rolled the last handful of seasons. And like I brought up earlier, they haven't needed a good quarterback to be a good playoff team in the last two seasons they played. And even three seasons ago, they made the playoffs with no quarterback and won a game as well. So this team is good. Uh, they're just not to me that I think two is the right spot to have them at, which I'm glad you put that at Dallas, which means the last team we have, which is Tubbs Bowl gets to look pretty damn good. University of Montana. Uh, that's look, that's a pretty common theme in polls covering the big sky right now. You know, coaches had Montana at number one media had Montana at number one. Our Tubbs patrons had Montana at number one. I would have put Montana at number one. Uh, look, Bobby Hawks in his, in his uh, fourth season at in his second stint at Montana, the last two seasons, Montana's made the final eight uh, lost and lost in the quarterfinals. This last season, they lost 28 to six uh, against James Madison. Now, I will say in losing 28 to six against James Madison last season, it's pretty clear that there was a gulf between James Madison, ta James Madison's achievement, Montana's achievement. The thing that held Montana back at all last year is now this might sound a little simple. Montana was really bad offensively relative to being a very good, uh, a very good overall team is going to be tough for Montana to get worse quarterback play than they got out of Chris Brown as a backup for some of last season. He's still in the running. Cam Humphrey was a starter last season. He was okay. Uh, there's a transfer who should shore up the position. His name's Lucas Johnson. He's from San Diego State. That's FBS, San Diego State. He started for a majority of South Dakota State's season last... I'm sorry, San Diego State season last year. Now, I will say uh, people shouldn't assume this guy, Lucas Johnson, is going to come in and be some transfer who lights the conference on fire, even though he started in the Mountain West. You look through his, his box scores... He is uh, much more of a game manager. I don't mean that euphemistically. I mean, he's a guy who he doesn't make a lot of mistakes, but he doesn't have a ton of games where he was asked to win the game. For San Diego State, I think Montana is going to be quite similar. All he has to do is hit enough passes to open up the run game. Uh, Montana had terrible issues with running back injuries last year. Junior Bergen, he's a wide receiver, had to play running back as a fifth string running back last season. He's back to his natural position. Marcus Knight, who was one of the best running backs in the big sky in 2019, uh, rushed for 23 touchdowns in 2019. He missed last year with an ACL injury. He's back. So there's reason to believe Montana should be better on the offensive side of the ball. And this is just, this team just returns almost nothing but big sky, all big sky talent on the defensive side, which is the hallmark of Bobby Howe teams. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think the, the biggest way to frame this is last year's team was decimated by injury at running back, decimated by a lack of talent at quarterback, and still made it to the quarterfinals. And this year, you assume the injury bug kind of evens itself out back to, 
to even just average, maybe if they stay healthy, that's even a different conversation. But if Lucas Johnson or AJ Mayer uh, ends up being 10% better than Cam Humphrey was last year, that like this is this is a team that has an outside shot at winning the whole thing. They they bring back nine starters on each side of the ball. Like this is almost the same team from last year, but they get back their best offensive player and theoretically should have a better quarterback like this to me there's no question this is the best team in the big sky i hate to admit that but they should they should run through this conference pretty handily if they can stay healthy now and a couple things to keep in mind there too is montana returns probably the two best uh, defensive players in the entire conference in uh, patrick o'connell he was the preseason defensive mvp and Justin Ford. Justin Ford is a cornerback, transferred to Mon- Montana from FBS Louisville. He was a Buck Buchanan Award finalist last season, set Montana's season single-season record for interceptions in a season. Uh, they Look, there, there's talent all over the place at Montana. Uh, offensive line is a question. It took – really, Bobby Houck's biggest project at Montana was rebuilding the line um, that just did not – uh, develop under Bob Stitt based off roster composition. And that's taken a little bit of time. That's another reason why Montana was really not good running the ball is there. I, I guess the, the thing that might hold Montana back from being able to develop more is, is, is their offensive line going to be good enough against the, the best teams in the league? Uh, that's a real question. They, they lose some skill position talent, but you know, Mitch Roberts is returning wide receiver. He he was he led the team receptions last year. Malik Flowers is probably the best kickoff returner in the conference. He's going to play more at receiver as well. We already talked about some of the other skill position guys, and there is no real question. Bobby Houck, the only thing he doesn't have on his coaching resume is a conference is a sorry a national championship. This team lost no coaches in in terms of their their coaching staff. There are and they added Rob Fennessy, which is a huge get. Well, as an analyst, sure, that's a fine get. Getting a former former head coach in the Big Sky is a like your tenth tier guy. Yeah, that's that is a get. I know it's a joke, but look, Montana is the right team at number one. The question for Montana, for the most part, is going to be how far can they go in the season? And again, because they have the money, Montana plays no FBS out of conference games. They start with North. Northwestern State, which that's a, an HBCU. They should have no difficulty there. Then they play South Dakota, who that's Missouri Valley, could be tougher. And then they're at Indiana State. That's another Missouri Valley, but a worse Missouri Valley team. Worst case scenario, they're going to exit out of conference play with two wins. Very good chance they have three. They don't play Northern Colorado or NAU or UC Davis. But because they have those additional wins coming in the out of conference there. There's no question. This Montana team makes the playoffs question is going to be, can they make the run through Montana state, Eastern Washington, Weber state, Sacramento state, and Idaho, I guess. And for anybody that's, that's curious uh, in the, the hero in the stats polls, Montana and Montana state are both three and four in just flip flopped in either poll that we are talking the cream of the FCS here. the, the, the Dakota State schools and the Montana schools, and that's the, your your top four this year. This is, yes, it's always North Dakota State versus the field, but 
this is a team that is expected to to have a shot at at winning the title. This is this is a team that's going to need a lot of things to break the right way, but everything broke correctly for Montana State last year until Malat got injured in the in the, in the finals there. And, uh, not that that would have changed the the feeling of that game, but this is this is a team that we could be talking about in December of oh yeah, they they have a shot to go the whole the whole distance. Yeah, last point I'm going to bring up is schedule-wise, because I already talked about it, but I didn't, I didn't go in-depth enough. Montana has a very realistic chance of being 6-0 and in that they already talked about they're out of conference, and that, but once they get to Big Sky play, they open up with Portland State, Idaho State, week off, then Idaho. And though, again, I think Idaho is going to be better the last few seasons. On paper, people should pick Montana to be in Idaho today. Well, that means look, they're going to be 6-0 heading into their first real challenge of the season against Sacramento state. That's a ton of momentum. That's a lot of confidence to have a team build, build, build upon, which it's a benefit of being able to pay for those FCS games, because that means they they make money off those because people, they get enough people in the stands, but that, that really is not a minor deal heading into conference play to have the confidence of potentially being three and O and then a favorable first two conference games or first three, depending on how you want to count Idaho right now. Yeah, no, Mon- Montana's the team to me, number one. Uh, we are at an, we're really long for us. So we have a couple quick hitter questions where it's just going to be like one sentence answers. Martin, I uh, want you to jump in periodically. Uh, Dallas, first question I have for, I have for you real short answer. Uh, who's the best candidate of a non top five team? to win the league are we talking our top five that we just created let's yeah but let's bracket it down to top four okay so then i'm going to kind of cheat here and say that our pick of number five eastern which the media poll had them at six the coaches poll had them at six the tubs patrons had them at seven we just listed them at five here i would say eastern is the team that has the best chance to win the league if talkington or whoever ends up as the quarterback if they can play well there is a shitload of talent on that team. Martin, what about you? Uh, I'll go Eastern. I think they're, they are the best. They are the best non-top four team. My answer on the best non-top four team to be different from you guys, because I think Eastern should be there, is UC Davis. Just because we covered, they have they ha- they could have a Sacramento State kind of season where it's just they have an unbelievably favorable schedule, and that's part of what pushes them up. And that's always going to be an issue for the rest of, of rest of the season. Talking about Big Sky, we're going to get to those other questions we have. But first, our ad read for our favorite sponsor, Hughes River Expedition. If you're looking for a great all-inclusive week-long vacation, don't look past your backyard. Venture into the largest protected wilderness in the continental U.S., located right here in the great state of Idaho. Enjoy a multi-day trip down the middle fork of the Salmon, the main Salmon River, no return, the Salmon River Canyons, or the Selway, and you can even check out special trips like the one to see the Purset Meteor Shower. Camp on pristine beaches, run amazing whitewater, hike scenic trails, spot wildlife, soak in beautiful natural hot springs, take in the history along the river, and fish some of the most remote stretches of river in the country. You just bring it close? Let HRE handle the rest. Hughes River Expeditions has been vandal-owned and operated since 1976 and ready to take you on a vacation of lifetime. What are you waiting for? Find out what it's like to grab a paddle, catch dinner, and ride the bull all throughout the gem state. Call them now at 800-262-1882 or check them out at HughesRiver.com. Uh, Dallas, best candidate in the top four, or let's let's bring it up to the top four, top five, best candidate to underperform. Uh, Weber State. I think, I think it's Weber State. Uh, they offensively, 
could be a question mark or terrible. And that's, I think, the easiest candidate to say could underperform. Martin. I'll go Sac State. I'm just going to explain Sac State for Martin, which is, I'm going to guess Martin's explanation, which is, again, we, we've seen them do well with an easy schedule. They don't have as easy a schedule, and they they have they did lose so, some key contributors on the defensive side of the ball. Best candidate to uh, – by the way, I'll throw – I'll throw Eastern in there as a potential candidate to underperform, but it's because it's because of the big turnover. And uh, we're going to see, this is really the first roster of all Aaron best guys. Some of the, some of the contributors last year, the very good ones, weirdly enough, because the COVID time, they were still Bill Baldwin guys, best middle, middle tier team. So let's just say not our top four, um, Dallas best middle tier team and have that branch down into Idaho at eight uh, best middle tier team candidate to underperform or to overperform. My bad overperform. Do you want to do underperform first and then overperform? I don't care. I'm going to, yes. okay. I'm going to, I'm going to go with underperform first. I think the team that is most likely to underperform would be NAU. I just, I know that they've got RJ Martinez, but if he if he does not take a, another step, or if he takes even a, a step back, then we are talking about this team being one of the four worst teams in the conference. Like I, I, everything projecting them at seven is that their guys that are there are going to take a step forward. Martin, uh, I'm going to go NAU. I kind of peg piggybacking off what Dallas said. Okay, I'm going to contradict myself from earlier. UC Davis is a candidate to underperform, though. We talked about it earlier. They, they've been not that overwhelming ever since 2018. They have a schedule that may make them look better than they are. But this also, this we don't have the explanation of how this team picks up kind of quality wins yet. So uh, Dallas team, most like middle tier team branching down to like number eight, Idaho, most likely to overperform. I think this is an easy one. If you if you don't say Eastern because we gave them the top candidate to win the league, if you keep them out of this discussion and say that they're, they're kind of on their own, that leaves UC Davis, NAU, and Idaho. It's Idaho. It's absolutely Idaho. Just like we talked about, just the the change from Petrino to Eck could be enough to, to give Idaho that push for a playoff spot. Martin. I'm going to go back to my Mr. Sunshine and Rainbow roots and go with Idaho as well. We're, we're on the same page here. The The quick version of that is if you think Idaho had enough talent in the last couple seasons, we just need to be used better. Well, we have the guys who are going to use it better. So there. The last questions now, Dallas, of, the, of all the, the bottom tier in the conference, who is the most likely to be the greatest embarrassment to the big sky? I mean, it's Northern Colorado. Come on. Like, Ed McCaffrey seems to not care at, at all what people think of him or his program, which is, you know, that's probably the way to run it unless you're filled with nepotism and a nonchalant attitude towards all of your players. It's it's Northern Colorado. I couldn't answer this question with anybody else. Northern Colorado, there's nowhere to go but up for that program. So I picked Northern Colorado as worst in the conference, but I, I will say of teams who could just be a clusterfuck, 
I do think there's an Idaho state floor that is low, that could be lower than Northern Colorado based off of, like I told you, the reports we have offensively, Tyler Vanderwall might not be the guy that, that we thought he was based off the spring. If Idaho state does not have the same enthusiasm to their program right now under Charlie Regal, which is not Regal's fault. Idaho state has been terrible for a long time. 2018, they almost made the playoffs at six and five, which six and five felt like nine and one in, in Pocatello. So they're, I, I'm going to, I still think Northern Colorado will be the worst, but there's a very easy case for Idaho state is clearly worst team in conference. And that's it. We're at an hour and 45 guys. We're going to, I'm going to just cut it off right now. Uh, before we, before we sign off, Martin, you have your Martin minute. Anything to add for this week? Uh, buy your season tickets. If you haven't already, um, that's all I got. There wasn't a whole lot of sports stuff to talk about this week. The Idaho does have their football team has their last scrimmage this Saturday at nine 30 in the Kibbe dome. If you're a season ticket holder, you get to go for free. Be there or be square. Okay. We're going to sprint off guys. Um, Thanks for thanks for for joining. If you like what we're doing here, support us at patreon.com backslash tubs of the club, hashtag only tubs. And we're gonna if you don't us. like what we're doing here, subscribe so you can tell us in private messages how much we suck. Perfect. Exactly. We're gonna throw it to the Picasso of outros to end the show. Go vandals. Go vandals. <laughs>